Hello there. This is Eric Sinrod at Dwayne Morris, joined as ever uh, by my colleague Jonathan Armstrong at Quartering. And this is our Tech Law 10, where uh, the law and information technology intersect. We come to you pretty much on a weekly or biweekly basis. And this is podcast number 249. So we're almost up to the magical 250. And Jonathan, we're talking about or we're thinking about social media and has it become somewhat antisocial? And if so, what do we do about it, sir? Yeah, well, thanks very much, Eric. And um, yeah, it seems to me, I've, I've been thinking about this a bit this week, that there are many on social media that are now chasing clicks. They're chasing, uh, you, you know, uh, Twitter followers or Instagram followers, or they're chasing YouTube views. And some people are pretty much inclined to do anything to get attention because oftentimes followers or clicks means cash. Now, we've seen that cause issues in a couple of instances in the UK. So today, for example, George Galloway, a former politician uh, who became a talk radio host, was, uh, was sacked over a tweet that he uh, sent, which seems on the face of it to be anti-Semitic, and use the excuse of Liverpool's win over Tottenham to make references to a, you know, somewhat cliched but still offensive uh, trait of uh, or ethnic background of, of Tottenham fans. And we also had uh, Danny Baker dismissed from the BBC over a tweet that he sent and interestingly, in Galloway's case, Galloway is saying that he is going to sue talk radio, presumably because he's going to try and argue that the nature of his tweet was not anti-Semitic. But again, for the record, we should point out that Mr. Galloway is somewhat litigious, but he's also a man who doesn't always follow through on the threats that he makes. Now, regardless, in Spain, we've had a case today where it seems that the Spanish courts have had enough of this type of activity, and it shows that in some cases the law might intervene. Now, this case concerns a Spanish vlogger who is well-followed on YouTube, and he was dead by one of his... Uh, followers on YouTube, he has 1.2 million followers, to eat an Oreo cookie um, which was filled with uh, toothpaste instead of that thing that passes for cream between the two uh, brown bits of an Oreo. And instead of eating it himself, he tricked a homeless guy in Barcelona to eat the cookie instead. And the Spanish courts took this badly. They sentenced him to 15 months in jail and said that he'd violated the moral integrity of his victim. They also ordered that his YouTube channel, which, as I said, had 1.2 million followers, uh, should be shut down. 
and they banned him from posting any videos to YouTube until 2024. Additionally, he was ordered to pay his victim some 20,000 euros in compensation. Now, he's apparently unlikely to spend any time in jail because he's a first offender and Spanish rules effectively suspend sentences like that. But the case also seems to shed some light on the monetization of these type uh, of pranks. And I think that's one of the things that the court seems to have taken into account. Now, uh, what happened is that Ren uh, opens his YouTube account up for advertising, as many do. And according to reports in Spain, he made about 2,000 euros from the prank because of the advertising revenue that was attracted to see that video. And even though he'd made 2,000 euros, he went back again to the homeless guy and offered him 20 euros. Uh, and that then increased to 300 euros on the proviso that the homeless man didn't take any legal action. So even if the homeless man had, uh, had taken the 300 euros, he'd still have been 1,700 euros. Uh, uh, euros up. And so I wonder, I know in the past we've talked in previous ones about 249 cases about <laughs> people uh, trying to use social media for ill or without thinking things through carefully. But I'm yeah. just wondering if this Spanish case might at least make those who are, you know, doing social in the worst possible taste, if it might make them step back and think, partly because if they're doing it for the money, then the chances of them getting caught would seem to increase, partly because you only need to offend one or two of your 1.2 million followers for somebody to make a report. And secondly, because this is likely to be quite a consequential hit for Mr. Wren, if he's making 2,000 euros or so per film, but he can't uh, post films for another five years or so, and his channel that he's presumably spent a couple of years building up uh, is going, will this make so those whose profession is social media think twice before using inflammatory content to try and drive revenue? Yeah, let me take this from a different angle. Uh, I'm really glad you brought up this topic. I wrote my most recent blog on social media companies and what should social media companies do regarding content showing up on their platforms. Um, and tell me how this fits in with your discussion once I come back around to you, Jonathan. So yeah. as we've talked about in prior podcasts, you know, here in the U.S., and as you know, we have Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, and our Congress uh, enacted that in the mid to late 1990s, in essence, to make it such that our commercial Internet, as it was growing, could be relatively unfettered and so it could boom as part of our economy. And essentially what it says is that Internet service providers generally are not responsible and liable for the content posted on their sites by others. It's not their job 
as we say here, to sort of call balls and strikes and say, this is appropriate content, this is inappropriate content. We're just providing you a platform, and, you know, that's our responsibility only. You know, we're not here to monitor and uh, decide what to remove and keep um, on our sites. And But as time moved on, we've seen some problems with that, most notably our 2016 presidential election, and uh, intelligence agencies later concluded that uh, Facebook and other sites were used to post false content uh, in an attempt to try to sway the presidential election, et cetera. There have also been some privacy and some security issues. And interestingly, Mark Zuckerberg wrote an article for the Washington Post where he said, um, you know, he would be open to the idea of greater, you know, government regulation because, you know, they now there's a recognition by social media companies that some of the content showing up is not necessarily good, uh, but what are they supposed to do about it? And so if they can get guidance, for example, from Congress, then they'll know what to do, and they can sort of act accordingly. Um, there's a problem there because Mark Zuckerberg himself, when he uh, testified uh, before Congress not too long ago, some of the questions being asked to him by members of Congress demonstrated an utter lack of understanding uh, even on the basics of how the Internet works. So if you're looking for guidance there, you're in essence looking for vision from the blind. So what do we do going forward? Um, on the one hand, you know, social media companies want to have uh, successful businesses, and if they had to monitor every you know, item posted, you know, the millions and millions of communications posted on a daily basis, it would be so burdensome it could really drag them down. On the other hand, you know, they want to protect the integrity of their platforms so that users' uh, confidential information and communications are not, you know, uh, uh, infringed and, and hacked. Um, and they also want to make sure their platforms are not used for purposes like improperly swaying elections. So there's a delicate balance, and they're going to get creative on it. And so now having put that out there, Jonathan, I wonder if now you can do the job of sort of weaving together our two separate uh, points relating to social media right now. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think that there is a delicate balance that social media operators are trying to drive between being responsible for content and being seen to be responsible about content, if, if, if that's the distinction. And I think we've had these debates previously in Europe as well. Uh, YouTube, for example, had um, some uh, issues with the Italian court system where they failed to take down content that was specifically brought to their attention, and that resulted in action against some uh, Google uh, executives personally. So I think we're seeing this um, this eternal conflict, really, and governments saying things like something must be done to stop cheating mm -hmm. elections, something must be done to stop this type of content. The challenge, of course, always is, uh, is you know, if we think that our governments are rational, do we still extend the same ability to control the Internet to other governments? So there's an allegation, for example, that uh, a lot of content relating to uh, Tiananmen Square uh, 
it's being the anniversary of the uh, Tiananmen Square episode, is being censored. And there are allegations that some social media sites are temporarily suspending the ability to reply with a photograph or video content. So the difficulty we have, I guess, is that once we accept that governments are entitled to police social media, then it's hard for us to argue that governments we don't like can't. And, hmm. and that, I guess, is a moral debate that started almost day one of the Internet and right. will probably still be going on, um, you know, at least beyond year 249 of the Internet, I'd suspect. Yeah, that's right. I mean, basically, uh, you know, we're on this, we're having this grand social experiment, if you will. You know, yeah. the train left the station, uh, to keep mis mixing metaphors, you know, on day one of the commercial Internet, and we just keep on going. And some of the consequences were unexpected and unintended, and here we are and we're grappling with them, and they're not easy. So I think we're over the 10. Uh, this is very uh, thought-provoking. I imagine this is a topic we will be coming back to as we uh, embark further in our Tech Law 10. We're almost at 250. After that, 500, then 750. I think we're going to make it to 1,000. Um, so this is Eric Sinrod at Dwayne Morris. You can reach me at ejsinrod at dwaynemorris.com. Oh, you can find us at the usual social media outlets. <laughs> and I'll turn it back to Jonathan to close it up. Yeah, and this is jonathan.armstrong at cordrycompliance.com. We do like hearing from you. Do get in touch, and we'll speak to you again in a week or so. Cheers. 